0: now open at Grand Prix Karting, Clued In, the escape room experience, where you'll have just 60 minutes to solve riddles and clues to escape the room before time runs out. Go to gpkcolumbus.com to find out more about Clued In, Columbus's only next generation escape room experience. Prepare yourself to enter the world of bone. Welcome to the World of Bone podcast. What is up? I am T-Bone. Thank you so much for listening once again. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you have had uh, a great after Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoyed all the sports activity over the Thanksgiving weekend, including college football and the craziness therein. A uh, little bit of news on this podcast. We will talk a ton of Columbus crew because, well, hey, it's World of Bone and if you know me, you know I'm a crew fan, and there have been a ton of developments over the last uh, couple weeks regarding the crew, so we'll get into that. And uh this is actually going to be the final podcast of the World of Bone. That's it. This is the last one. Yeah, I'm going to take a few weeks off of the podcast, regroup. If you subscribe to this podcast, I don't know how that works, if we'll have the new podcast going right to your subscription that you already have. If you've like already done that via iTunes or whatever, but uh, look for the new untitled as of yet soccer podcast that I will be doing starting at the beginning of the year with Brandon beam, who is the producer of Tim and Beanie here on 97.1, the fan and one of our hosts that you hear on the weekends, fill in host Brandon beams, good dude love soccer. So we're going to have a lot of fun doing that podcast. Um, but first let's go back to uh, the crew. So, uh, I guess the best place to start is on the field. The crew lost in Toronto, uh, last, well, Wednesday night, last night, whenever you want to call it, uh, one to nothing. Josie Althador got the goal. Heartbreaking type of defeat for the crew. They played, I thought, really well throughout this entire playoffs. They had, uh, you know, again, they're overmatched. Toronto FC is arguably the best team major league soccer has ever seen. They could be the best team that's ever been assembled in Major League Soccer. They have a huge budget. They've paid a ton of money for their uh, players that they have. It's their roster is one of the deepest in the league. They have great defenders. They have great midfielders. They have dynamic scorers at the top. Uh, at least in Sebastian Javinko, Josie Altador, who has been a disappointment in the National League, and anytime he's played in Europe, but he's a dynamic MLS scorer. So you got you've got all that going on for Toronto and they deserve to be in the finals. They deserve to be in MLS Cup and probably deserve to win MLS Cup. They are that good. But it's heartbreaking because of what the crew have been through off the field. Fan base would have loved to have seen and I'm sure of course they would have too obviously. Uh, everybody I think in MLS who wasn't rooting for Toronto because they're a Toronto fan wanted Columbus to win that game so they could host MLS Cup. And uh make it extremely awkward for all parties involved that are trying to move the team, so from that standpoint it does it does suck uh on the field, just to break down that game a little bit. I thought that uh overall crew played crew played a really i mean they had Greg Berhalter had a great plan he decided to put three in the back and try to make that work, and it did it neutralized a lot of what Toronto wanted to do despite them having a ton of possession. They really didn't generate a ton of great chances for them. Most of their great chances early on came from free kick opportunities or set pieces. It's not something, I mean, again, that's not ideal, but having some of their talented players running at your defenders is also not ideal. And I thought the crew dealt with that pretty well and handled the pressure, uh, and then were able to counter it. And, and I thought had the better of the play in the first half, despite not having much of the ball. So they, they made a good tactical adjustment there to start the game. It sucks that. Zach Steffen, the penalty that came down, uh, which are, if that's going to be a penalty again, we, we do this all the time with penalty calls. If that's a penalty, how is the, the one in, in Columbus against Toronto on Pedro Santos? How is that not a penalty? Whatever. Anyway, uh, that, that didn't happen. Uh, they, they got the penalty kick and Zach Steffen, who will be your national team keeper, mark that down. Zach Steffen, I don't know how long he'll be playing for the crew. I don't know how long. He'll be playing in MLS, probably not very. He will have opportunities in Europe and he would be foolish not to take them. He is a tremendously talented player. And I saw somebody on Twitter post this last night. The land, Columbus is the land of the goalkeepers and it certainly is. They, they've produced, a, this city has produced a ton of them from the professional side, just with, you know, again, Brad Friedel didn't grow up here. He played one year here, but he played for Columbus. There have been a ton of great goalkeepers that have come through here. Uh, John Bush, legendary goalkeeper in MLS for decades. Uh, he had a great career. So, yeah, this this city knows how to produce goalkeepers, and it's uh, another one that the that crew have, and Zach Stephanie's great. So, second half, that Josie outdoor goal. I mean, again, the guy's hurt. He's coming off the field. He's back on the field. He's hurt. He's coming off the field. The fact that he scored the goal is poetic for Toronto, right? I mean that's that's great for them. It it it, you know, injured player fights through adversity, scores goal, fights through everything for from like a Toronto fan standpoint, I don't blame them at all for being excited, obviously. But their storylines also mimic, you know, the national side of things where a guy who's largely been booed and maligned in his own country in Josie Altador goes to Toronto, and he's beloved. Same to a different degree for Michael Bradley. Both of those guys got to celebrate in a year where most fans booed them every time they stepped on the field after they didn't qualify for the World Cup. So tough year for them that way, those two players. But professionally, they're feeling great. I have no love lost for Michael Bradley or Josie Altador. I hope they're humiliated. I hope Toronto loses in the finals. I hope they lose by a dozen goals. I want them to be utterly humiliated, not for the fans, because uh, their fans have largely been cool, but for those players, I just uh, I don't root for them. Sorry. I'm done with Josie outdoor, done with Michael Bradley, and it's not just because of their, their national team stuff, but a large part of that is uh, Michael Bradley's comments after the first game. You can go to hell, Michael Bradley, for all I care. Uh, you don't need, I mean, just the way you're, you're going to talk about Columbus like that when you have no knowledge of what's going on, uh, so maybe it's best not to open your mouth. All right. So that's done. On the field is over. So the, the thing that could happen is a lot of people might, might forget about the crew's plight. They might forget that Columbus has a ton of fans who are really jilted right now and who want to see their team playing well beyond 2018 in Columbus. Can't forget that. Can't forget that there's this, this save the crew movement still exists. And there are a lot of people here that Want the Save the Crew movement to continue. I noticed uh yesterday, as I'm sure most of you did, that uh the letter that Mayor Ginther and uh, Alex Fisher from the Columbus Partnership sent to Don Garber and Anthony Precourt, that made the rounds. It made the rounds. A lot of people read that letter. A lot of people got to see that letter. Um, it was a letter resolidifying. solidifying hey, here's what we offered to you back on November 15th. You know, when you came out of that meeting and said we offered nothing, um, here's what we did offer, and here's what we want to do. I'm just going to recap some of that for you. The city has said that they would give up three publicly owned sites for a potential new stadium. They said Berliner Park, which I think most people know if you've ever been, if you ever played softball in the city of Columbus, you've probably been to Burliner Park at some point in your illustrious softball career. Uh Burliner Park, they said would be available, two hundred acres of city owned property to the southwest side of Columbus. Of course, it's easy access to seventy-one, ten minutes from downtown Columbus, and it's adjacent to German village, so that would seem to tick off a lot of you know, check off a lot of boxes for potential development. The Ohio Expo Center and State Fair redevelopment, which is a great idea too. I, I don't think the location of Crew Stadium currently, mafray Stadium, I don't think that's as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. Does it have all the amenities around it that you'd want? No, it has a Lowe's and a Big Boy. I get that. It's not it's not ideal from that standpoint. But there's a lot of history there. It does have its positives. People, one thing that we've not really brought up in this whole Save the Crew soccer discussion is if a new stadium gets built, well, we went downtown, we went Urban Core, we went, yeah, we want to stuff it right in there so we can make sure it's right smack in the middle of everything. Great. Parking will be a thing you'll 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 have to figure out how parking will work, and that's something that is a benefit to the crew right now that it is not a benefit to some of these other sites. I'm not saying it can't be overcome. I'm just pointing out that if you want to make the case that oh the crew stadium sucks, they don't have as many amenities around. It's like oh, that's fine. One thing they do have is ample parking for tailgating and and for that culture, which does exist for crew fans. We love to tailgate we enjoy it. So that there would have to be a new dynamic. I'd be fine with getting rid of tailgating for me personally and going to a bar instead. But if there's only going to be one or two bars that hold about 2 or 300 people, you're going to have to realize that after a couple weeks that's going to suck because then you're going to be stuffed into these bars where you won't be able to move, you won't be able to get a drink. Oh, and your car parking's going to be like again, there are challenges to be met at any point. And all I'm trying to illustrate by mentioning this is that the idea that Crew Stadium is just not usable is ridiculous. I've seen plans. People have mocked up plans of saying, what if they use part of the parking lot and they build a parking structure and then took another part of the parking lot and redeveloped that and, and you know, put buildings there and put some restaurants in. I think that's the best. That's a great idea. I didn't know the Ohio Expo Center and State Fair would be open to redeveloping all that area. Great to know that they would though. And again, I, people act like that's not part of the urban core. I, I'm sorry. One side of the urban core is Ohio State students to the left. The other side of the freeway, you have Linden. I mean, it's, that's urban core. There are people living there. Now it's up to the crew to market to those two subsects of people. But the idea that if we move it to this other place where other people are, it's instantly going to be better. It is. It'll have its different challenges. But I just don't like the idea that, well, we don't want to be near these urban people. We want to be near those urban people. How about you work to maximize the relationships where you currently are? Another thing the crew have not done very well, in my opinion. But whatever. That's another story for another day. So the Expo Center state fair thing, I think would work out well if they wanted to do that. Um, I'm surprised that the state and the city and the, you know, everybody involved is willing to get involved in that, but that's awesome. Another thing they say on this. They say build a world-class soccer stadium on the state fairgrounds on the existing site and connect the area to the heart of the OSU campus through improved access connectors. Could that mean pedestrian bridges over the railroad tracks? I don't know the answer, but I do think that's pretty intriguing because that would be for the Hudson street hooligan and me. That would be very great to see that we could go back to some of those bars that, most crew fans haven't been going to as recently because, well, you can't walk. You can't get across the railroad tracks. Well, this would be a way to do that. But I think the best proposal of all three of these, and these are, again, these are just the public options that the city laid out. Dodge Recreation Center, which is right off 70, 71, 315, that on the, you know, just west of downtown, right on the riverfront there, 16 acres, of that Recreation Center, they would move that somewhere else. They would find a new spot for that Rec Center. And meanwhile, that now puts you smack in the middle of Franklinton. And a lot of people who are a, a familiar with the goings-on in the city and the land and everything else thought Dodge Recreation Center would be a perfect spot for Crew Stadium, for a new Crew Stadium. But they thought it would never be offered up. Never. Like, or... or would be one of the last things that would be offered up. Now we find out not only has it been offered up, they've reiterated, like we're still willing to do it, even though you've been kind of a, a, a douche nugget this entire time, Anthony Precourt and Major League Soccer. We're still willing to offer it to you. So you've got three locate, I mean, two locations that are new, one that you already have, but they're willing to plop down a bunch of money to help redevelop it. That's a pretty good deal. For, for Anthony Precourt and Major League Soccer. Then they said in addition, there's a number of privately owned spaces that are feasible that could be sites for a new stadium, creating a stadium central in Columbus with three professional sports teams. For all of those options, Columbus and the Columbus uh, partnership would partner with private developers to turn the surrounding area into an entertainment district with restaurants, bars, and attractive streetscapes. So I, I don't know what we're missing here. Well, we are. I do know what we're missing. We're missing an owner who says, I actively want to make the solution happen. We are missing that. What well, we have instead is an owner and major league soccer to a large degree, at least the commissioner, Don Garber, who would rather sit there, put their fingers in their ears and go, nan, 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 boo, boo, I can't hear you. And I don't, I don't understand that someone who's smarter needs to explain to me, like, cause, cause here's what I get. I get from a lot, because I know you know a lot of people in the soccer world, and I know a lot of people in the sports world, and the outsiders who look at this go, ah, man, you know what? This guy just doesn't want to be in Columbus. Plain and simple, he doesn't want to be in Columbus. Yeah, thank you for coming. Breaking news, wow. If you weren't there, how would I ever know that? Thank you for bringing that up. I'm aware he doesn't want to be in Columbus. What I don't get is why it is that Major League Soccer doesn't want to be in Columbus. That's what's boggling my mind. I get that the trust fund baby who's always got his way, who just bought into the league at the cheapest price he could. I get that that guy is is kind of a lost cause, precourt. What I don't get is why the league wants to ruin the goodwill they have, not just in Columbus or Ohio, but around the league they're ruining the goodwill the 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 idea that that is worth it for Anthony Precourt. I've said this before, and I'll reiterate it again. You're not doing this for Robert Kraft, right? You're not doing this for the type of money that even like a Stan Kroenke brings in. These are the guys who have billions and billions of dollars, whose family has had billions and billions of dollars. Stan Kroenke's married to a Walmart heiress. Now, he made his own money. She made her own money. Now they're married, and I'm sure they both keep whatever. I don't know. But I'm just saying he has access to wealth that we can't understand. Anthony Precourt's dad was a CEO of these companies, oil and gas companies in Texas. He's got probably a job that paid him for years, 20 to $30 million a year, or maybe 40 or 50 million a year. Like a lot of money. No one's turning that down. That's generational wealth. I'm not saying that he's poor. What I'm saying is it's not that it's not billions of dollars. Like it's, there's a whole different thing where, oh yeah, my family started an industry and we own eighty percent of the stock of that company and that company is now worth twenty billion dollars or whatever. Like, that's a different level of wealth than what you're talking about with pre court. So if Mark Cuban was coming in, or if uh, you know, uh well, like Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cavs, he's trying to get in with the Detroit option. Like I the Ford family is a part of that bid. The Ford family, they're, they're the Fords, like Ford cars. The Fords, they own that. I get that you want that money in. Anthony Precourt doesn't have that money. He has Daddy's money, and he's made some of his own with Daddy's money because, you know, it's easier to do that when you have a big pocketbook sitting there that you can go from. But I don't understand why the league doesn't just say, "Okay, hold on, Anthony Precourt, we let you into the league. We let you buy this team. You wanted to possibly move it to Austin." We thought at the time that was a good idea because we thought no one would care. Now apparently everybody does care. And not just in Columbus, but around the league, everybody is saying this makes us look terrible. Wow, we're stupid. Um, we have to honor your agreement. We're going to let you move a team or put a, not move a team. We're going to let you have a team in Austin. We have this expansion bid. We're going to waive one of our expansion fees because we screwed up. We're going to waive that and we're going to put your team in, we're going to let you put a team in Austin. Also, though, you have to sell the team. You can either sell it to Major League Soccer. Well, that's how it works anyway. You sell your shares back to Major League Soccer, and then Major League Soccer sells those to whoever wants to buy it. That's technically how all these transactions work. But I don't get why the league doesn't just pay him a fair value, $150 million, and then sell it back to the city. Where In this same email that came out from the mayor and from Alex Fisher, they said that, We've offered potential ownership scenarios with an understanding that pre-court does not want to sell the team outright. But it sounds like they do have people that would buy it outright if they wanted to, if they would sell it. So they've offered here 50-50 ownership with local investors, uh, crowdfunding and shared ownership with local investors, in a Green Bay Packers model of pro sports, and minority investments from strategic partners. So the money's there. The corporate money is there to support this team. I don't understand why they don't want to get involved. And again, if it was like if Mark Cuban came in and they wanted to get Mark Cuban in the league for years, and he did, and he's like, "All right, I'm an owner now. I'm going to buy this team. I want to move it. Oh, and I'm going to move it to... um Well, let's pretend Los Angeles didn't already have a second team coming online. I want to move it to Los Angeles. Well, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't be fond of that. But I, I'd, I'd understand. I'd get it. I'd say. Well, that makes a lot of sense. This does not make any sense. This is not the type of money the pre-court has. So I don't know what Major League Soccer needs to see, but there's been an argument out there that Columbus, while they struggle. Here's what Don Garber said just the other day in a in a business uh, business sports business journal. Don Garber said, In Columbus we've been struggling in a wide variety of metrics that matter. Attendance, local television ratings, revenues both on the sponsorship side and overall revenues – that's been a problem for us for a long time. All right, let me quickly take down that entire sentence. Garber says, struggling in a wide variety of metrics that matter. Attendance. Well, attendance this year was in the bottom part of the league. Last year, the Columbus Crews set their attendance, well, not an attendance record. They had the best attendance since 2002 in 2016. So a 15-year high in attendance was just achieved last year, so attendance not an issue. Now, again, if your argument is, well, they should be drawing thirty thousand, well, that's fine. The stadium doesn't hold that; that's a whole different discussion. The stadium, even this year, with the amount of quote unquote bad attendance it had, was at eighty four percent capacity for the entirety of the season. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy his argument. Local television ratings. All right, local television ratings. Let's talk about that. The crew purposefully took a deal with Spectrum Sports, was Time Warner Cable Sports at the time. I've worked with Time Warner Cable Sports. They do a tremendous job. This is nothing against the people there. It's not available to everyone widely in the city. So for a couple years, that was the deal. And that caused a lot of crew fans to say, well, I can't watch the crew. They don't want me. Screw them. So that affected their bottom line negatively, and it certainly affected television ratings. Well, you, you put them on a network that can't, put the games on for everyone in the city. They put them on for people who have Time Warner Cable and now Spectrum. Then when they did finally say, okay, we acquiesce, we'll put it back on MLS Live so you can subscribe. Because for a a while, remember, they were blacking it out if you live within 75 miles of the stadium in any direction. So, like, you couldn't get Spectrum maybe on your local cable or whatever. Well, you could – theoretically go to MLS Live, pay fifty bucks and get the whole season for the, you know, entire year and watch the games. No, they blacked those out. And then eventually they got smart and said, okay, we won't black out the games. Oh, and we'll put them on local over the air television. So this season, twenty eight, 53 have all split the games, but they're on broadcast television. Everyone can get that, whether you have Direct T V or Dish or, you know, antenna, rabbit ears. So now Don Garber cite local television ratings. Well, again, they didn't publicize that very well that they've put that on the regular television because a lot of people still believe it's only on spectrum. So local television ratings are really tough to, to judge here given that your, your owner kind of screwed that up. He made that an, a mistake on his part. Now you can also look at national TV ratings. Uh, For the playoffs is what we've seen. I haven't seen any of the national TV ratings like game by game. I'm sure they have all that at MLS headquarters. And maybe that's horrible for the crew. I don't know. What I do know is in the playoffs, the crew ended up with the three highest, most watched playoff games so far have been from the Columbus crew. When they played New York, when they played Toronto, when they played Atlanta. Those three games were the highest rated. 400 plus thousand watching those games. Not a ton in terms of actual Television ratings—that's bad for nationwide. It's the best MLS has done this year in the playoffs. For comparative purposes, New York and Chicago, two of the biggest markets in the in the country, and of course in Major League Soccer, uh, they played each other in the first round. Drew eighty nine thousand people on TV. That's pathetic. That is piss poor. So the idea that while well, they struggle with local television ratings, how how's New York Red Bulls doing in local television ratings? How's Chicago doing? Like, the idea that Columbus has to have 50% of the populace watching the TV, otherwise it doesn't work, I I just don't understand. Like, it's not a standard you hold anyone else to except Columbus. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I get bigger markets. If you get 1%, that's more people because there's more people watching at 1% than if there are 1% of people in Columbus, which is not as big. But you're moving to a market in Austin that is about the same size. Again, it doesn't really make a ton of sense oh, and you 've managed to tick off the people in San Antonio who I know for a fact m l s had hoped whichever team won austin or or San Antonio, whichever one won the expansion bid while well, the other city would just follow and and support that team that is never going to happen with San Antonio fans they will not support the Austin whatevers all right so that's shot to hell, oh, revenues both on the sponsorship side, sponsorship side and overall revenues well again. Your operating costs for the crew are gonna be cheaper because your land is cheaper, your rent is cheaper, and your roster is cheaper. They don't bring in the type of roster that Toron- Toronto has like two guys that are that are both paid more than Columbus's entire roster. So don't give me that. Like if you were spending like Toronto was, then maybe you'd have a point, but they don't. Uh revenues, both on the overall revenues and the sponsorship side. Okay, Moffrey Stadium has naming rights. Is it the highest in MLS? No. But they have them. They never had them before. You have a jersey sponsor in Acura who is, I would say, identifiably one of the biggest names you've ever had. I guess Glidden was pretty big, too, back in the day, Barb. all these are good companies. But Acura and Honda, that's a nice partnership that the league already kind of wants to foster. And those are, by the way, metrics that they were supposed to hit. They wanted a jersey sponsor. They wanted a stadium sponsor. They wanted 10,000 season tickets. They hit all those metrics. They hit them all. So I don't understand why Don Garber's now saying this. He's, and he finalizes that statement by saying that's been a problem for us for a long time. No, Donnie, there's, there's tons of, of people in, in interviews with you saying Columbus is doing well. We're proud of Columbus. We like what Columbus is doing. We think it's one of the best places for soccer in America. Like you've never said this up until like two months ago. Now all of a sudden everything's a problem in Columbus. Oh, by the way, I'm not just saying that out of my crack either. Adam Jarty, who covered the crew for years, Adam Jarty said, why is this the first time I've ever heard it? Like, none of us have heard this. Guys who cover the team are saying, this is new. We've not heard this. So, yeah, Don Garber can lie through his teeth if he wants to. He can do that. I don't understand why. I, I get if you want to be in Austin, that's fine. Go to Austin. Just don't take my team to do it. Alright, let me wrap this up real quick. I realize, and I want to show an apology too. Um, World of Bone has been going for about two years now. This is the second year of the World of Bone podcast. I want to thank everybody who's listened to it for as many, you know, podcasts as you could and, and everybody who's checked it out. Um, I, I do want to say that I realize I'm like, I think this change to a soccer podcast, obviously you can tell I like soccer. I've brought it up many times on the show. I realize it's a change that's going to cost me some audience. Like there are some people who don't like soccer who listen now who are going to say, well, I'm not going to go with you on the soccer podcast. That's fine. I get that. Um, What I'm trying to do, I guess, with the soccer podcast is to make a focus so that people can wrap their brains around it. I think podcasting is a really great tool. I've loved podcasting, but all the podcasts I've done in my career up until the world of Bone – have been soccer podcasts, so I kind of have a history with it. That's part of the reason I wanted to get back to it. Um, but also because I do believe in soccer. I think it's a great sport. I love it, and I enjoy watching it. But I think soccer generates a lot of community. It generates a lot of good feelings and good vibes from people. So do other sports too, but soccer just has a little different way of doing it. And soccer doesn't get talked about as much on our station as I think it should or could, so I want to have an outlet for that. Uh, Brandon Beam, who's going to join me on the podcast, is a really great up and coming talent that we have here. And I wanted to give him a chance as well to talk about something he's passionate about. I think it'd be a waste for us not to do that. But I do acknowledge that those of you who don't like soccer are going to be turned off by that. So for those of you who've listened all this time, I just want to say thank you. If you enjoyed the NASCAR talk, some of the dirt track talk, if you've enjoyed, you know, like some NBA talk that we did a long time ago or just random quasi-political things that we brought up in the past, whatever. Uh I'm, I, Thank you for listening through all of this is what I'm trying to say. And and I'm sorry that some of you won't choose to listen to the soccer podcast, but I do understand and respect that. And I just want I guess, heartfelt thanks for listening for the time that you did. Um, One last thing I kind of want to leave people with too is just because, again, once the new podcast hits, we're going to be talking soccer, and that's going to be a large portion of what we do. So we're not going to talk about much else. But I just wanted to add that now more than ever, I hope that we can all try to, as we go into 2018 and as, you know, holidays coming around, we need civility. You know, we need, we need kindness in this world. And I realize I work on a radio show where we regularly call teams that aren't playing well, dumpster fires, or we say that a player is quote unquote dead when in reality they've just been benched. Like I, I get that, but it's going to sound odd coming from me, but if we could treat each other like humans um, instead of Twitter avatars and Facebook posts where you can we can like you one minute, we can amplify you the next minute, block you a week later, never to be heard from again, that that's not good. We don't want to be headed that way as a society. We need to have as much as you may not think it from the show, I, I do believe we need to have some some kindness and compassion, especially towards people that we don't understand. I've been trying to do my part to listen to more viewpoints that I don't understand. Um, been trying to have preconceived notions go away, trying not to have those. I hope we could all try next year and beyond to embrace things that were good and that are healthy and that are correct and also acknowledge the bad that exists in our world and try to fix it. Hopefully we can all stand up for others, be accountable for the failings of our society, and uh, do our best as humans to make it better for other humans. So, I know that sounds kind of <laughs> a little sappy or whatever, but that's just how I kind of want to leave the World of Bone podcast. I want to thank you again, like I said, if you've listened. I hope you'll take those words to heart. And I hope you'll join us on the next journey with the next podcast, the soccer podcast that will be uh, coming up in January. So, thank you again. Thanks for putting up with my voice this week. I'm very hoarse and, and sore throat and everything else. So, again, thank you for listening. Enjoy the World of Bone podcast, and we'll see you soon.